0: So we are in a series called A Generous Life. When it comes to being a generous person, I think it's something that if I were to ask you, do you want to be a generous person? I think, I, I think all of us would say, yeah, I, I want to be generous. I, I want to be a, the type of person that's known for my generosity. Now, we say that, um, but sometimes life gets in the way. And the reality is we all struggle with these questions like, well, how much do I give? How much do I keep? How do I know when I'm spending too much money? How do I know when I'm not spending enough money? How do I know when I'm becoming too materialistic? How do I know? It's like all these questions that, that we struggle with. These are tough questions for us because we know that the, the goal of life is not to gather things, but we also know that, that you know, we don't to have things is not wrong in and of itself. So how do we kind of balance that out? Legalism tells us: just take out your calculator, figure out ten percent, write a check, be done with it, move on with the rest of your life. And the reality is that in the Bible, that's what the Pharisees did, the religious leaders, the scribes. They would just say, "I've done my part. I've given away the ten percent. I've given away that tithe. Now I, that that's it." But the problem was, right, their heart wasn't in it. And you can give and your heart not be in And you you can give, you can even give a lot and you still aren't a generous person because your motives are wrong. And that's what we talked about last week. True biblical generosity, it goes far beyond the amount we give away. And I know that sounds counterintuitive, but, but, but true biblical generosity is, Uh, is far deeper so my question is is how does God feel about our generosity is the Lord pleased with what we give what about the other things we give to God our time and our energy our effort would he be pleased with the way you're living your life this morning we want to look at a biblical story of a woman who who really who greatly pleased God and it wasn't for the amount, it wasn't about the amount she gave. it was about her heart. It was about her sacrifice. It was about her generosity. And so we're going to be in Mark chapter 12. and I'll give you a little bit of backstory first. Um, the backstory, we see Jesus teaching to a crowd of people in the temple. He was warning them about the scribes. And the reason He was warning them was because he said that they, all they were about were, they were about attention. They liked power. They use their power to take advantage of others. And so Jesus was warning these people, It's like, just because these people are affluent, just because they are powerful, just because they are rich and, and, and can do all this stuff and are well respected, it doesn't mean that their heart is in the right place. Because they even take advantage of the most vulnerable people in society. In Mark chapter 12, verse 38 through 40, this is kind of the warning that Jesus was giving them. He said, "...beware of these teachers of religious law, for they like to parade around in flowing robes and receive respectful greetings as they walk in the marketplaces, and how they love the seats of honor in the synagogues and the head table at banquets. Yet they shamelessly cheat widows out of their property." and then pretend to be pious by making long prayers in public because of this they will be more severely punished I, I i told you before that understanding the context of a passage is so important because we can easily take out a verse or a, a small passage and and kind of twist it and manipulate it to make it say what we want to say And so when we come to the the following passage that we're going to be focusing on today about the widow who gives her two coins, her, her two mites, and it's easy to take that story and say it's all about her. It's all about her giving her money and giving all that she had, and you should give all that you have to support the church, right? We could twist that, but what is this about? In the context, this story is about how the religious elite were manipulating and taking advantage of people, and God contrasted how they were living their life and how this woman was living her life. And he's laying out the choices, ours, like who do we want to be like in this story? And so what he's doing, he's he's letting his disciples in on a secret. He found someone that truly loves God and is truly devoted to God. And he's wanting to tell his disciples about that, this at the same time that he's pronouncing judgment against those who would abuse the system, who, who, against those who would take money and use it for their own comfort and wealth and pleasure. And that kind of brings me to my first point this morning. We're talking about generosity. Generosity. So what is the New Testament model of generosity? It is sacrificial giving. It's sacrificial giving. It's giving from the heart. Throughout this series, what we've been doing, we've been focusing on how we can live a generous life. And and again, I I, I hope that you're understanding it's far more than writing a check each week and putting in an offering plate or dropping in our offering box, right? It's far more than just going through the motions and saying, I've done my part, now I can go on with the rest of my life. That's not really what generosity is. And so what, in in this passage, Mark is recording this incident that contrasts those who serve God with hypocrisy and someone, a woman, who served God with true spiritual devotion. But before we jump in and read it, I feel like I need to give you a little insight, a little background on the Old Testament model of tithing, of generosity. Uh, And it was a little different Uh, because God, he, he gave people instructions for tithing in the Old Testament. And because Israel was an agrarian or an agricultural society, right, they were told to bring tithes of their grain, their new wine, their oil, their firstborn of their herds and their flocks. And so if the journey to the sanctuary was too far, they could then exchange their gifts for money and bring the money instead. And their gifts supported the priest and the Levites. And the tithes also regularly helped the foreigners and the orphans and the widows. And so that's kind of the system, that's kind of the model of giving we read about in the Old Testament. We just automatically assume, well, it's Tithe, the word means tenth, so they gave 10%, and that's what they were responsible for. But in reality, when you count up all the different offerings that they gave to the temple uh, throughout the over like a seven-year period, it would be 12 to 14 different offerings that were taken up. And so when you add all that together, it was well over 20%. So I think in our mind, we think, man, we're doing good we, if, if we give 10%. We aspire to 10%. But even the Old Testament model was more than 10%. So that, that's interesting, right? And, and so much, so many donations were brought to the temple that you could almost think of the temple like it, the central bank of Israel, right? That's kind of how they were bringing everything there. And the, the person that the treasurer... Uh, the temple treasurer, was one of the most important officials in all of Israel. And that kind of brings us to our passage today, Matthew 12, verse 41. So said, Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple, and he watched as the crowds dropped in their money. Many rich people came and put large amounts in, and then a poor widow came and dropped two small coins, two mites. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all of the others who are making contributions, for they gave a tiny part of their surplus. But she, poor as she is, has given everything she had to live on. And so this is interesting, right? This happens right after his debate with the religious leaders. They had been in the most outer court of the temple area, but now Jesus moved in closer to the actual temple into a place uh, in the temple courts called the Court of the Women. In this court, there were 13 different chests where they received the, the the tithes and the offering. And they were kind of separated out into different kinds. The new temple dues and the bird offerings and the wood offerings and the spice offerings and gold offerings and free will offerings and they had these big metal kind of funnels attached to them. So you could hear when someone dropped in the money. And because Jesus kind of set up and positioned himself where he could see what was going on. He's already established like these religious leaders were all about the show. They were all about, I want people to know who I am and how important I am and what I'm doing. So when they would drop in money, I could just... I mean, in my mind, I can just picture them dancing and like, you know, look at me, everybody. Look at how awesome I am. And like, bam, and like making a big racket and just like, you know, throwing it out. And then this woman just kind of walks up real shy and just drops in two tiny coins. And everybody's looking and thinking, ha you know, she doesn't have anything. This is, this is terrible. She's poor. She's destitute. And, and they were probably making fun of her. But Jesus saw her heart. Jesus saw the sacrifice. And so when he noticed that, he was more impressed with her sacrificial generosity than he was with the leaders giving out of their abundance, out of their surplus. And I think for us, there's a lesson here, right? God sees the heart. And God cares about our motives. And God doesn't care about the amount. He cares about our sacrifice. Which brings me to my second point this morning. God cares about the quality of our generosity more than the quantity. He cares about the quality of it. And, and again, I, I think for us, right, so, so many times we, we think, well, the more you give, the better it is. But it's really about the quantity of our sacrifice, it's all about our heart, it's all about our motives. Uh, Professor Daniel Akin says this, he says, With piercing divine insight, Jesus saw both the gift and the heart, both the act and the motive behind the act. He knew those who gave only because others were watching, and he knew those who would have given if no one else was watching. And then once again, he turns the value system of the world upon its head. One of the things I think that made Jesus unique was that that he had this ability to see beyond what everyone else saw, right? And, and people were like, how did you know that? How did you perceive that? How did you understand that? And when he would share with his disciples this insight, it was so revolutionary, it was so countercultural, because everything in their society was about the outward appearance. I feel like that's kind of the society we're in today too, Right? It's about the show. It's about what it looks like. It's about appearances. Uh, this creeps in the church world too. And, and Jesus is looking at that and saying, wait a minute. All right, it, it's about your heart. It's about your devotion. It, it's about, are you actually sacrificing your gift? You know, what you can do here. Another commentary said, it's not how much we give to God, but how much we withhold for ourselves that he is concerned about. Right. The lesson is also brought home to our hearts that in the last analysis, God wants not what we have, but He wants us. He wants our hearts. I shared that last week, right? God doesn't need your money. And I know as a pastor, you're like, well, that's all churches care about, right? They want money, want us. That, our heart, our passion here at Cornerstone has never been about the money. I'm sure Camden and Danny would say the same thing. It's not about the buildings. It's not about the property. It's about the people. It's about the ministry. That takes place. And we have to trust God to provide us as we are ready for it, as we need it. We we trust His timing that He's going to give us what we need to do the work that He has called us to do. That's the model of generosity. God, it's not how much we give, it's how much we withhold for ourselves. He's more concerned about the 100% than the 10. And we'll talk about that. Uh, You think about this, the temple was ornate, the wealthy liked to hang out there, and the the fact that Jesus, he he'd already said that the the temple officials, they were taking advantage of the widows. They were stealing property from those who were most vulnerable. They were taking from the poor and using it to enrich themselves. You know, I I don't have to paint too many pictures of our government today sometimes to, to make us think about does that happen some today do people get taken advantage of is there abuse in our, our financial systems and in government systems and church uh you know you, you've got churches that uh on tv that are praying on the weak and the and, and the the poor and taking what they have so they can buy their million dollar homes and that's not generosity it, it's abuse it, 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 you look at it, everything about it is wrong. And, and so, Jesus is, he, you know, we could say that Jesus wants everybody to give everything. But in context of this, he's, he's pointing out this woman showing that she's faithful. She's faithful. She's trusting God to provide for her. The, the religious officials, they were more concerned about their personal wealth and comfort. And Jesus, you know, you read through the gospel, he storms the temple twice, two different times, right? To overthrow the money changers. Once at the beginning of his ministry, once at the end, right? So he does this twice. He goes in because they were taking advantage of people. This is how important this issue is to God. This is how important it is to to, to him. Uh, Christian financial advisor, Ron Blue, and maybe you've heard of him, he he wrote a lot, uh, especially years back, about people embracing God's purposes for money. And I I read this this week, I wanted to share it with you. He said, very few Christians would argue with the principle that God owns it all. And yet, if we follow that principle to its natural conclusion, there are three revolutionary implications. First of all, God has the right to whatever he wants, whenever he wants it. If I really believe that God owns it all, then when I lose any possessions for whatever reason, my emotions may cry out, but my mind and spirit have not the slightest question as to the right of God to take whatever he wants, whenever he wants it. Really believing this also frees me to give generously of God's resources to God's purposes and his people. All that I have belongs to him. The second implication of God's owning it all is not only is my giving decision a spiritual decision, but every spending decision is a spiritual decision. As a steward, as a manager, I have a great deal of latitude, but I am still responsible to the owner. Someday I will give an accounting of how I used his property. The third implication of the truth that God owns it all is that you can't fake stewardship. A person who has been a Christian for even a short while can fake prayer, Bible study, evangelism, going to church, and so on. But he can't fake it, what his, uh, what his checkbook reveals. Those are the implications of understanding that it really comes down to God owns it all. And so it's not about, here's 10% that God can work with, and here's 90% for me. right? That I feel like that's how many Christians feel like, hey, if I do that, I'm doing great. That's not generosity. It's about how do we live with 100%. Are we looking for opportunities day in and day out? Do we filter every decision about, does this help me right honor God? Does it help me glorify God? Does this help me serve others? Right? And when we start filtering our decisions that way, then, it's, then we start understanding a little more about generosity. So let me, just, I mean, let me just say, you may be wondering, well, what about the rich and the wealthy? Is it wrong to have money? Is it a bad thing to have wealth? I think the Bible is also clear on this, that it's not, right? You see people that had wealth throughout the Bible. In the Old Testament, people like Abraham, Jacob, King Solomon. I mean, they'd be millionaires, even billionaires in today's economy. Right? You, you see Joseph of Arimathea that was able to, uh, to provide the tomb for Jesus. We see examples throughout Scripture of people that were blessed with resources. Uh, uh, you know, there's all these, uh, all these people throughout Scripture that we see that had resources. So if you've been blessed with wealth, if you've been blessed with resources, you don't have to feel guilty about it because wealth in and of itself is morally neutral. So the really question is, what do you do with that wealth? What do you do with what God has blessed you with? Again, do you honor God? Do you use it for the sake of others? Or do you use it for your own pleasure and comfort and enjoyment? The problem is, right, the more riches we have, the more it can become your idol. The more it can become your security. The more it becomes like this is... This is mine, and I can do with it what I want to. We lose that concept of God owns it all. In Psalm uh, 62.10, uh, it's interesting how this passage kind of ties in. Uh, It says this. It says, um, don't make your living by extortion or put your hope in stealing. (laughs) That's what the religious leaders were doing. And if your wealth increases, don't make it the center of your life. Don't make it the... This is, this is what, as our wealth increases, right? Uh, I love what Dave Ramsey says, right? Instead of increasing our standard of, of living, we, we need to in, increase our standard of giving, right? I mean, because that's what we do. We think, hey, I've got a little extra money. What can I go buy? What can I go spend it on? What trip can I take? Where can we go? How can we blow through this? How can we use it uh, for me, but what if we started turning that around? How can I use it for my family? How can I use it for my friends? How can I use it for my church? How, how can I use it to bless others? How can I use it to honor God? How can I use it to support missionaries? How can I use this for God's kingdom? Instead of wanting, it, it seems like, you know, and you ask, and you see this in society, you ask anybody, do you make enough money? And they would say, if I made just a little bit more, then I would be happy. I mean, that's the the standard response. How much money do you need to be happy? It's always a little bit more. A little bit more. If I had just a little bit more, then I could do what I really want to do. And that's the problem, right, with riches. They become our idol. And so as we make more money, we're tempted to begin to think we need more money, and we get in this cycle of wanting more and more. And that's why in Luke we read, Beware, guard of it against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. How much you own. I think for, for many of us, man, that if we could just slow down, step back, and really evaluate the choices we are making financially, I think it would change the way we live our life. And that kind of brings me to my last point. God deserves our best. God, he really he deserves our best. When Jesus saw the religious leaders, I think he instantly saw that their hearts weren't devoted to him. They weren't giving their best. They weren't even noticing the amount they gave. They could give all that and not even not even affect anything about their daily life. And so when he saw someone give so much of of what they had and what they needed and He said, wait a minute, that that is sacrifice. That is generosity. That is what it looks like. Warren Wiersbe said it this way. He said, the rich made this big production out of their giving, but Jesus rejected them and their gifts. It is not the portion, but the proportion that is important. The the rich gave out of their abundance, but the poor widow gave all she had. For the rich, their gifts were a small contribution, but for the widow, her gift was a true true sacrifice of her whole life life in the book of Romans in chapter 12 we have this whole chapter about how you live your life as the disciple of Jesus how you honor God with your life uh, and there's a passage here that talks about I feel like it talks about giving God your best whatever he's blessed you with you give it back to him let me read this to you and I'll back up a few verses um, verse 3 says because of the privilege and authority God has given me I give each of you this warning, all right? Don't think you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith God has given us. Just as our bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and we all belong to each other. In His grace, God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it is giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take the responsibility seriously. If you have a gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. The the reality is we're all different. We're all wired different. God has given us different gifts, resources, abilities, just as in the parable of the talents. We all have different things God has given us. The question is, are we using everything we have to bring glory to God? Are we using our lives for Him? However He's gifted us, whatever He's given us, whatever He's blessed us with, are we using it for His kingdom? We look at this list that Paul gives us in Romans 12, and it's not exhaustive, but whatever you give, you use them for God. You give God your best. And so my question is today for you, as we kind of wrap up, what keeps you from giving God your best? What keeps you from from giving God your best? I I think for many of us, the, the simple fact is it's apathy because we don't even think about it. We're so busy in our day-to-day life that we haven't even taken the time to evaluate how we're spending our time, how we're spending our money, how we're spending our energy. Because we're just trying to live day by day. We're just trying to keep afloat. For some people, it's debt. Debt, I'm telling you, debt is terrible when it comes to generosity because debt keeps you from being able to do and follow and 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 be able to give when you feel led to give what then debt just comes down to people spending more money than they bring in and i know there there are times and maybe people have lost a job or maybe there's all this student debt that that everybody's talking about now and and that's weighing you down but you're you should be thinking about how can i get out of this debt as quickly as possible how can I pay it all? How can I live simply till I get it paid off, so that I can can live more generously? How can I? And, and really, the problem is right when people get in debt, they tend to get in more debt, and more debt, and more, and it just crushes. That's why the Bible says the 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 borrower is slave to the lender. Maybe it's um, maybe you you would hate to admit it, but maybe the reason you aren't giving God your, your best is because you want to keep the best for yourself right? Maybe it's like, but God, I, I'll do my part. I'll go to church on Sunday morning. I, I, I'll give you a little bit. I'll, I'll drop in some money in the offering plate. But man, you, you don't understand. I've got all this stuff that I want to do. I've got this stuff I want to accomplish. I've got these places I want to go. And, and it's just simply greed and materialism uh, that you have foc- your focus is on yourself and not really God's kingdom. You know, I look at this whole story and, um, you know, we could say, hey, everybody needs to, to give a, a tithe, a tenth. But that's not the moral of the story. That's not what this story is, is about. Most Christians, you know, I've shared some statistics the first week, give less than 2% of their income away. We're, we're at the point where we've got to change our focus. Our biggest question shouldn't be about what do we do with the 10% that we think is God's. Because we've got to change our complete focus to say it's not about the 10%, it's about the 100%. Because it's all His. It's all His. And how we share it, how we spend it, that's what is important. And so today we get to, to, to have a baptism. And I love baptisms because it's a sign of our old life. Uh, you know, It's our whole life being changed. Uh, Our old life is put to death, and now we're coming out of the water as a new believer, a new person with a new heart, new mission in life. And I love that because when you think about that, that's such a picture. God gave everything for us, so now we give everything for Him. And so if you haven't been baptized, I want to challenge you today. Would you, uh, you, if you're a believer, if you put your faith and trust in Christ, you've not been baptized, then today's the day you need to be baptized. Um, let's pray today as the praise team comes back up and we close out. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. And these, all these messages about generosity, it's, it's tough for us to think about sometimes. But we often do need to change our focus. Because when we focus on ourselves, we focus so much on our problems and our setbacks and our, all the excuses and everything. But Lord, we need to focus on your kingdom and our opportunities. We need to view each and every day as an opportunity to to share your love, to share your message, to share the gospel, to share hope, to share the love of Jesus with a world that desperately needs it. So, Lord, we pray for those opportunities. Give uh, Give us those divine appointments each and every day where we can tell others about you. Lord, I pray that we will hold on loosely to the things in this world, knowing that we are just stewards, we're just managers, we're just here for a time... Uh, And you've entrusted us with these things uh, to use for your glory and your kingdom. So today, Lord, I pray for that, that we would do that. I pray for those in the church today, those listening online. If they have not made that ultimate decision to surrender their lives and make Jesus the Lord of their life, that today would be that day. That today, right now, right here in this place, that you would hear them when they cry out to you and say, Jesus, I need you. I confess my sin. I I need you to forgive me. I need you to be the Lord of my life. Lord, I want to follow you. I want to put my trust in you. I want to live for you. Come into my heart, Lord. Save me. Transform me. Change me. And Lord, I'll live for you. The Bible says in, in Romans 10, 13 that all who call upon the name of Jesus will be saved. And so today, Lord, I pray that there are people calling out for you and to you. Lord, we thank you for Jesus, for what he's done on the cross, for how he loves us, for the the way that he's given us this opportunity to live with you forever. So today, Lord, we want to praise you. We want to worship you. We want to thank you. In Jesus' name we pray today. Amen. So as we close today, guys, this is your opportunity to, uh, to really focus, to respond to God. And so... Your response may be, it could be a number of different things. It could be to sign up for a live group like we talked about. It could be, hey, I want to get involved with the work that they're doing in Mexico. It could be, hey, I want to get more involved. I want to sacrifice more just in my day-to-day, week-to-week activities. And so I want to get plugged in. I want to serve this community. And we can, as a church, we're all about getting you plugged in to ways to make a difference, to ways to share Jesus right here where we live. So that's what I want you to think about. That's what I want you to pray about. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, talk to me before you leave. Uh, It is the most important decision you can ever make in your life. Let's stand up before we close.